Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 25. And I, I think we could probably turn the air down, um, one of the ushers, if you can help me with that. I'd appreciate it. Leviticus chapter 25, we've been making our way through the book of Leviticus on uh, Wednesday nights. And uh, in this chapter, we basically find uh, God explaining to the children of Israel uh, two concepts uh, that were supposed to be laws of the land. You've got to remember as you study the book of Leviticus that we are talking about the laws of the land, the law of, of, of the nation of Israel. And these chapters also have to do with the economy of the land. And there's two concepts, one of the Sabbath of years and the other of the year of Jubilee. I, I, I feel like I'm just a little echoey. If you could help me with that, maybe just turn me down. I'm sorry. And um, what I want to do tonight is I want to go through and, and explain that to you and then just at the end kind of just make some applications uh, to help you out, uh, just some personal applications that we can apply to our lives today. Look, look at verse 1 there, Leviticus 25 and verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, notice what he says, he says, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. So he says, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now, we're, we're used to the most common Sabbaths we look at are is a Sabbath of days, where God to, tells people to work six days and then to rest on the Sabbath day or on the seventh day. But here he is talking about the land keeping a Sabbath unto the Lord, and this is a Sabbath year. For the land. Notice verse 3. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyards, and gather in the fruit thereof. So I want you to notice that the Sabbath year happened every seven years. You'd work the land for six years, and then the Bible says that on the seventh year the land was supposed to rest. Notice verse 4. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thine vineyard, that which groweth of its own accord, for thy harvest thou shalt not reap. So he's saying, you're not supposed to sow the field, you're not supposed to prune the vineyard, and if anything grows of its own accord, you're not supposed to go in there and do the work and bring in tools and reap, neither gather the grapes of the vine undressed. Notice what he says, for it is a year of rest unto the Lord. So I want you to notice, in the Sabbath year, there's a set time. It's every seven years. You work the land for six years. You rest on the seventh year. It's meant to be a time of rest. And there's a spiritual application here, of course. But honestly, there's just a practical application in the sense that the land has to rest in order to replenish its nutrients. It's just good, uh, you know, agriculture to allow the land to rest and to not just continue to work it and work it because you'll uh, deplete the nutrients and you'll not have as good of food growing from it. And that's what God is teaching them. Notice verse 6. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you. So not only was it a time to rest, but then they were promised that the land would produce enough for the inhabitants. So they were not to work for that year, but God said, I'll make sure that there's enough food. Notice verse 6. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee, for thy servants, and for thy maid, for thy hired servants, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in thy land shall 
all the increase thereof be meat. The word meat just simply means food. And he's saying there's going to be enough food there for your animals, for your cattle, for, the, for, for yourself, for your servants, for your maid. So he's telling them it's a set time. So the Sabbath of years, it's six years you work the land, the seventh year you rested. It's meant to be a year of rest. And then he says there's going to be enough food there to feed you. In verse 8, he transitions into the subject which he basically talks about for the rest of the chapter, which is the year of Jubilee. Now, the Sabbath of years and the year of Jubilee are connected, uh, in, which is why they're, they're mentioned in the same chapter. Notice verse 8. He says, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years. So remember, he just explained to us the Sabbath year, right? You work, seven, you, you work six years, and then you rest the seventh year. Now he says, you're going to number seven of those Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbath of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. So he says, once you've done seven of these seven uh, of these Sabbath years, Sabbath years of rest, once forty-nine years have, have gone, notice verse nine, then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. We talked about that when we talked about the prophecy, uh, the, the picture of the prophecies and the different feasts, and I'll mention that a little bit later on in the sermon, but I won't get too much into that. He says, in the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. Notice verse 10. And ye shall hollow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. So he's teaching them this idea or this concept of the year of jubilee. Now I want you to notice that it, there's a set time for it. It's the 50th year. They, they were supposed to count seven Sabbath rest years. And on, after 49 years, on the 50th year, they were supposed to proclaim the year of Jubilee. What was the point? Notice it was an additional rest. So they would allow the land to rest every uh, six years. Or they'd work it for six years, allow it to rest on the seventh year, excuse me. And then on the 49th year would be a Sabbath of rest. So the 49th year would be a year that it would rest. But then the 50th year, they were to allow it to rest as well. So when the Jubilee happened, they didn't work the land for two years. Notice verse uh, 11. A Jubilee shall that 50th year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself uh, in it, nor gather the grapes uh, in it of thy vine dress. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. So again, you allowed the land to rest every seventh year. And on the 50th year, you allowed the land to rest again. And he's explaining to them just the concepts of the Sabbath of years and then of the year of the Jubilee. And it's interesting because in, in verse 10, this verse is actually inscribed in the Liberty Bell. You know, the famous Liberty Bell uh, uh, that, that stands for the Liberty of the United States. On that bell is actually inscribed, Leviticus 25.10, the part where it says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. What's interesting about that, though, is that this, uh, this year of Jubilee is something that, in a lot of ways, goes against the liberty that is taught by capitalist America. 
And, you know, this is where I'm going to lose a lot, a lot of people because, you know, our movement ha uh, brings in a lot of people that are like these libertarians, that are these anti-government, you know, don't pay taxes, don't do this, don't do that. But, you know, it, it, the Bible teaches certain things that just don't match up with the things that we have been taught uh, as, as Americans. And, you know, at the end of the day, you need to just, for, you know, quit listening to Alex Jones and just you know, uh, conform yourself to the word of God, because the Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. The Bible says that the word of God is pure. It's, it's right. Everything that God says is right. His thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are above our ways. So he's explaining this idea of the Jubilee and he's explaining the idea of the Sabbath of rest. But, you know, when, when you get to verses uh, uh, 13, he kind of begins to explain the concept of private property in God's economy. And I'm telling you right now, it's different than what American capitalism teaches today. Notice verse 13. He says, In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. So at the 50th year of the jubilee, they were supposed to blow a trumpet, and they were supposed to say, you know, it shall be a jubilee unto you. Ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. Verse 13. Uh, ye shall return every man unto his possession. Property was returned to the original owner during the year of Jubilee. And here's what you need to understand. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, if you read the book of Joshua, you'll find that as they went into the promised land, the land was divided and it, portions of it were given to different tribes. And, you know, the, the tribe of Judah had a part and the different tribes had different parts and they had lands that belonged to them. And those, tri and those lands belonged to those tribes tribes, and you know those tribes were families basically, it belonged to those families. And during time, commerce could be done where they would sell, and, and, and we're using the word sell here loosely, as you'll see here in a minute, but they would sell the property, but, but on the 50th year, on the year of the Jubilee, any property that was sold was to be returned back to the original owner or to the one who had inherited that land. And here's what you need to understand. And this is what, what goes against, you know, most American, you know, God bless American Christians. Uh, but here's what you need to understand. There was really no selling in the economy of God when it came to property. There was really only leasing of property under the concept of the year of the Jubilee. Because if you sold, quote unquote, property to somebody else, they could really only own it for 50 years because when the trumpet of the year of the Jubilee was sounded back, then it was to go back to the people who originally had it. And look, I know today people, you know, you talk to these government people and they're like, it's all about property. Property is the most important thing. You know, the property of your body and the property of your land and your property. But you know what? To be honest with you, there's no private property uh, in the sense of like you can buy property and own it forever and you can, you can just buy up the entire land and own it. That idea, that concept is not found in God's government because in God's government, you could lease land up to 50 years, but then it had to be returned back and it had to go back to the original tribe that had inherited and the land, the, the, the family that had inherited that land. Look at verse 23. Leviticus 25, verse 23. Notice what he says. Leviticus 25, 23. This is probably the most anti-capitalist verse in the Bible. 
The land shall not be sold forever. The land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. And I want you to notice what he's saying. You cannot sell the land. Someone cannot come in and just say, I'm going to purchase all this land. Now it's mine forever. No, you could lease it for 50 years and then it was returned back. And look, people today, they don't like that. They don't like that concept. Even Christians today will say, well, that's not capitalism. You need to understand that American culture and the Bible are not the same thing. I know that's what the Republicans want you to think. And I know that's what the, and, and they want you to think you're godly if you're just all into this government stuff and you talk about it. But I'm here to tell you something. You can put Leviticus 25-23 in your libertarian pipe and smoke it because it's just not there. You know, the libertarians today say, well, you should just have property and you should be allowed to do whatever you want. And let me tell you something. If the libertarians had their way, the sodomites would be running around being open pedophiles, raping, and no one could stop them because, you know, it's all about liberty. But that's not the liberty that the Bible talks about. Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And liberty is always connected to how we deal and how we respect and how we honor God and His laws. And what's interesting is that the year of Jubilee, which in other passages is actually called the year of liberty, actually teaches the concept that you're not allowed to just purchase property and own it forever. You can lease it, and then it has to go back to the people that God gave it to because he says that the land belongs to him. Look at Leviticus 25, look at verse 23. Notice what he says. Leviticus 25, verse 23. We're going to come back. To, uh, we're just skipping a little bit. We're going to come back and cover the other verses, but I just want you to notice verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. I'm sorry, that's the verse I read to you. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. Go back to verse 14. I want you to notice, not only was property was returned back to the original inheriting owner uh, during the year of the Jubilee, but there was really no selling of land in the nation of Israel. There was only leasing of property because under the year of Jubilee, it was supposed to go back to the original owner. Notice verse 14. It says, And if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall not oppress one another. Now notice what he says in verse 15. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, thou shalt buy. So how do you determine the price of, the, of a purchase if you're going to purchase land which the Bible calls purchasing or sell, selling, and the Bible is always right. But in our, you know, culture, we would consider it more leasing. How would you determine, you know, the price of it? Notice what he says, verse 15. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, thou shalt buy of thy neighbor, and according unto the number of years of the fruit, he shall sell unto thee. Notice verse 16. According to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price thereof. And according to the fewness of years, thou shalt diminish the price of it. For according to the number of years of the fruit, doth he sell unto thee. Here's what he's saying. The price of purchase, or what we would call leasing property, was determined by the year of the Jubilee. Because if, if you were going to go buy property, and last year was the year of Jubilee... I'm going to buy this property and I'm going to have it for 50 years. I know that 50 years from now, it's going to have to be returned back to the original owner. Well, I'm going to have to pay because I'm going to have that property for 50 years. But let's say the year of Jubilee is just three years away. 
Well, then purchasing that same property with the understanding that I will only have it for three years because during the year of Jubilee, it'll go back to the original owner. Then you would pay less for that price. That's what he's explaining there. He's saying, according to the number of years, thou shalt buy. And according to the number of years, he shall sell. Uh, verse 16, according to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price. If there's a lot of years, then the price goes up. And according to the fewness of years, if there's just a few years, thou shalt diminish the price of it for according to the number of years of the fruit that he sell unto thee. So private property, quote unquote, in the economy of God was that property was returned to the original inheriting owner during the year of the Jubilee. There was really no selling and purchasing of property by our vocabulary because land could really only be leased because at the 50-year mark, it was returned back to those who inherited it. The price of leasing property was determined by how long you would have the property and, uh, and keep it before the next or upcoming year of Jubilee. And notice verse number 17. Ye shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. You say, what is the purpose of the year of Jubilee? Why did God establish this? And look, we would do well in the United States of America to develop a concept like the year of Jubilee. Uh, you say, well, that goes against everything we've ever been taught. But you know what? It, it got, when God designed an economy and God designed a nation... These are the rules he came up with. You say, well, that's, that's odd. That's weird that I would purchase something and then own it for 50 years or, or less and then have, to have it returned back. You know, why is that? Why would God do that? Well, the answer to verse 17, ye shall not therefore oppress one another. See, the purpose was to keep people from being oppressed. Look down to verse number 14, Leviticus 25 and verse 14. Notice what he says, and if thou sell aught unto thy neighbor or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, ye shall, notice the goal, not oppress one another. See, the goal of the year of Jubilee was to keep people from just purchasing land, purchasing land, purchasing land, owning it forever, and basically just coming to the day where like one family would own the entire, you know, land that the tribe of Judah, you know, lives in. Or one property, one family would own the entire land that the northern kingdom of Israel was on. The goal was to keep people from oppressing others. And here's the thing, don't you think, I mean, today, don't we have families like the Rockefellers? Don't, aren't there people like J.P. Morgan? Aren't there people like the Carnegies who have been allowed to monopolize certain industries that have been allowed to just have power? I mean, they, they could buy whatever they want. They could they own whatever they want. And, and throughout history, you've seen them. I mean, you go back to the dark, uh, dark ages and you had uh, the serfs who had to serve in feudalism where you had the Lord who owned the property and everyone basically uh, was a slave. And really, this was God. This is God keeping someone from having the ability to oppress people because you could only buy so much land and you could only have it for so much time. And then eventually at the 50 year mark, you know, there was a reset button where everything was reset. Everything went back to the original inheritors. All the debts were paid. Everything was cleared and everybody got to start over. And what it did is it just kept evil men from monopolizing the economy and therefore oppressing others. And that's the society we live in today. And please understand, he's not teaching socialism. And he's not teaching communism because of the fact that people kept their wealth. 
See, it's the, the property go, would go back, but it wasn't that the wealth, you, you know, you, you leased the land for 50 years. You did not pay for something you're going to own for the rest of your life. You paid for it with the understanding, I'm only going to have this land for 50 years. I'm going to have this land for 30 years. I'm going to have this land for 20 years. And then you work that land. You make a profit, 50-year mark, year of jubilee. It has to go back, but you keep that profit. So, of course, you, people were rich in those days, and people were wealthy when they worked hard. But the idea was that everyone got a fair shot. Where at the 50-year mark, you were, you know, you, you were maybe a, a bondman because of your bad debt, because of your bad practices, but then you got a fresh start, your family got a fresh start, where God said, all right, here you go, try it again. Here's land again, you got to work it, you got to go try to do something with it, but, you know, you got to reset, you got to start it over again. Like the Sabbath day the Sabbath year, excuse me, the year of Jubilee was to produce enough for the inhabitants. Look at Leviticus 25 and verse 12. Leviticus 25, look at verse number 12. For it is the Jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall, notice what he says, ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. Look at verse 18. Skip down to verse number 18. Wherefore ye shall do my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And he shall dwell in thy land in safety, and the land shall yield her fruit. And he shall eat your fill and dwell therein in safety. And if ye shall say, notice what they're going to ask. Because this is what we would ask, right? If we lived under this, uh, these rules. What shall we eat the seventh year? Because we're not working. We're not working the land. We're not reaping anything. You know, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Notice what God says, verse 21. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year. And it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And ye shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of the old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruit come in, ye shall eat of the old store. And see, God is telling them, hey, if you follow this, if you follow this, there'll be enough, the land will produce enough to feed you and your inhabitants, not only on the seventh year, the Sabbath of, of rest for the land, but also on the year of Jubilee, in the 50th year when it was supposed to rest again. Now, if you look down at verse number 25, between verses 25 and 34 is what I call the fine print of the year of Jubilee. This is where he kind of goes into the details uh, uh, of things that he's explaining in regards to this. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says, if thy brother be waxen poor, and has sold away some of his possessions. So remember, at the year of Jubilee, all the inheritance goes back, and everybody gets land back based on their tribe and their family. So, but he says, if your brother is just, he, he's getting into all sorts of debt, he, he's not doing well financially, you know, he's waxing poor, and as a result, he has sold away some of his possessions. Now remember, selling your possessions in, in Old Testament Israel means for 50 years because at the 50 year mark you get to have it back but this guy's broke right now and there's a lot of meals between now and 50 years so he sells his possession and if any of his of his kin come to redeem it then he shall redeem it so here's what he's saying the well let's keep reading before i get into that notice what he, says. he shall redeem it that which his brother sold notice verse 26 and if the man have none to redeem it and himself be able to redeem it, 
Then let him count the years of the sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it. Then he may return unto his possession. And if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return unto his possession. What is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. The original inheritor, or what the Bible calls the kinsman redeemer, which I don't have time to develop that concept. If you read the book of Ruth, the concept of the kinsman redeemer comes alive in the sense that the kinsman redeemer was a family member who was near of kin. Usually it was a family member who was very well off, very successful, who had servants, who had the ability. That kinsman redeemer, his right and responsibility was to come to the aid of his family members and, and rescue them when they were in bondage. If someone was sold into as a bond servant, as, as, as a result of their debt, the kinsman redeemer was able to come and redeem them. If you remember the story of Ruth, the kinsman redeemer was willing to purchase because uh, Naomi came back in debt. Remember, she said, call me Mahra. She came back in debt and she came back in sorrow. Things did not go well for her. And she had a kinsman redeemer. But the kinsman redeemer was not willing to redeem. Why? Because he had to also, along with purchasing the debt, he had to purchase Ruth. And he had to marry Ruth. And he had to give, uh, 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 he had to raise seed unto, un, unto uh, that family. And then, of course, remember Boaz. He came in as the kinsman redeemer who was willing to marry. And all of that, by the way, is just a picture of salvation and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the kinsman redeemer who is not willing to marry is a picture of the law. The law uh, will try to save you, but it can't. It doesn't have the ability. It, 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 it would like to in the sense that if you could keep the law, it could save you. But the problem is it, you just can't keep the law. And then, of course, we have our near kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, which, by the way, that's why he had to be flesh. He had to be a man because he had to be near of kin to us because he had to be close to us. He comes in like Boaz and marries us and rescues us and we become the bride of Christ and you see all that picture there. That's what he's referring to. And by the way, as you read the Old Testament, you'll find that it is the kinsman redeemer who was to go and avenge his family. If, if someone was murdered wrongly, he was the one that was to go and to avenge them. There's all sorts of things here. You didn't have a police in Old Testament Israel. You didn't have, you know, uh, prison systems. You didn't have things like that. Now, look at verse 25. He says, If thy brother be waxen poor, and has told away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, that's the kinsman redeemer, then shall he redeem it. Here's what he's saying. The kinsman redeemer has the right to redeem property at any time. So if your brother sells his property... The, the year of Jubilee is 30 years from now. And he's like, I'm broke. You know, I, I went to the casino and I lost it all. And I've got to figure out, you know, how to do this. And he sells his property. The kinsman redeemer doesn't have to wait till the year of Jubilee. He has the right to redeem it right then and there. Notice verse 26. And if the man, that have no, and if, and if the man have none to redeem it, there's no kinsman redeemer in his family that has the ability to help him and himself be able to redeem it. Then let him count. Notice how they were supposed to redeem it. Let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto whom he sold it. So again, let's say I come along. I'm broke. I sell my portion. The year of Jubilee is 30 years away. I sell it at the price of 
30 years. You know, you're going to have this land for 30 years. But 10 years from now, I turn things around. I've got money now. I'd like to redeem my land. What I have to do now is I don't purchase it back from him at the cost of 30 years. I purchase it back to him at the cost of 20 years. Notice what he says, verse 27. Then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man whom, whom he sold it that he may return it unto his possession. Verse 28, But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out and he shall return unto his possession. Do you see the year of Jubilee, how that works? You sell property, but your, your family is going to uh, get it back. Your tribe is going to get it back at the year of Jubilee. Of Jubilee. Now there is an exception to the year of Jubilee. Because remember, we're looking at the fine print right now, right? And by the way, anytime you sign a contract, you should just, it's nothing to do with the sermon, but you should always read the fine print. It's a good idea. And here, there's an exception to the year of Jubilee. Notice verse 29. And if a man sell a dwelling house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year may he redeem it. Now we're not talking about land here. We're talking about a house Within a walled city, this is you know living in a, in a, in a, within a city, you are allowed to redeem it within a year. So if you sold your house, you had a year to say, man, you know, I really like that house. I think I, I want it back. You could purchase it back. Notice verse 30. And if it be not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city shall be established forever to him that bought it throughout his generations. It shall not go out in the Jubilee. Do you see that? So if you bought a a, a, a property, a house inside of a walled city, that sale was final. It did not come back to you in the year of Jubilee. Notice verse 31. But the houses of the villages, which have no wall around about, them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed, and they shall go out in the Jubilee. Now you say, well, what? So if the house is in a field, that would go back in the Jubilee. But if the house is in a walled city, it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. It may not go back in the Jubilee. You say, what, what's the reason for that? The reason for that is because if you own the house in a city, in a walled city, you basically just own an area for you to live in. You're, you're probably not making money from that property. You're probably working in that city, doing commerce in that city. So if you bought a house, you bought a condo or whatever, it's on the wall, you've got a nice view, you bought that and you own it. But the idea of the year of Jubilee is about land, where people are working the land, the land is how they provide for themselves. Again, it's God protecting the children of Israel from having, you know, the Rockefellers come in and oppress them, or having, you know, some rich guy come in and oppress them. Now, notice verse 32, there's an exception to the exception, all right? Which is, again, why you always want to read the fine print. Verse 32, Notwithstanding, the cities of the Levites and of the houses of the cities of their possessions may be may the Levites redeem at any time. So th this does not apply to the Levites. And if a man purchase the Levites in the house that was sold and the city of his possession shall go out in the year of Jubilee, for the house of the cities of the Levites are their possessions among the children of Israel, but the field of the suburbs of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. So the Levites were not allowed to sell land. 
They were allowed to sell the houses within the city, but those did go back out in the year of Jubilee. You say, what's the reason for that? The reason for that is because the priests, if you remember, the Levites were not given a possession. They were not given a land. They were scattered throughout the land, and their job was to minister about the altar. They were to minister in the work of God. They were supposed to get paid from the tithes of the people. They did not go out and work the land, so therefore the, 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 the year of Jubilee does not apply to them. Go, go look at verse 35. Now let's talk about hired servants and bond servants. I'm just explaining to you the year of Jubilee, then I'm going to give you some application here in a minute in regards to it. But in verse 35, he begins to talk about hired servants and bond servants and the year of Jubilee. Now, let me just explain some terms. A hired servant is just that, an employee, someone you hire to do work. A bond servant, the word bond means they're in bondage. So it's what you and I would consider a slave, although slavery in the Bible is different than what you and I remember, you know, about slavery from American history. But that's the idea there. Look at verse 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. That means you're supposed to help him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him. The word usury means uh, uh, interest. He said, you're not supposed to, if your brother is, 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 needs help financially, you know, help him out. Don't take any usury or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him money upon usury nor lend him thy victuals for increase. He said, if you let your brother borrow something, let him have it, or if they're going to pay it back, that's fine. Let him pay it back when they're doing better financially. But don't charge them interest. Don't try to make an increase off them. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt give, uh, to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Notice in verse 39, he talks about a brother sold into service was to be treated as a hired servant, not a bond service. He's a bond servant. Verse 39, and if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant. So he says, you're not allowed to, talk about a fellow Israelite, you're not allowed to treat them like a bond servant. You're supposed to treat them, even if they were sold to you as a bond servant because of their debts. You're supposed to treat them as an hired servant. Look at verse 40. But as an hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. So notice, in, in the United States of America, we have something called, uh, you know, uh, well, good night, I, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, were you Bankruptcy, there you go. Good night. Bankruptcy, you know, where you walk away from debts. Well, year, the year of Jubilee was kind of like that in the sense you could walk away from debt. But up until that point, you, you could be sold into bond service if you owed debts. If you took out loans, you did not pay them, they could take you and make you work that time off up until the year of Jubilee. Then, notice verse 40 again. Unto, the last part of verse 40, unto the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, you hit the reset button, all debts are forgiving, forgiven, everybody starts over. Verse 41. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. Thou shalt not rule over them with rigor. The word rigor talks about extreme conditions or extreme difficulty, but shall fear thy God. Now notice verse 44. Both thy bondmen and thy bondmaids which thou shalt have shall be of the heathen that are round about you. So they were, they were allowed 
to have bondmen and bond uh, uh, maids that were from the heathen, not of the children of Israel. Of them shall ye buy bondmen and bondmaids. Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy. And of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possessions. Notice verse 46. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor. And I want you to just understand this. In God's economy, he allowed for there to be the existence of bondmaids and uh, bond servants. And I, I don't have time to develop that tonight. One of these days, I'll, I'll preach an entire sermon on that. But I just want you to understand, what we, can, what we think of when we think of like the Civil War and American slavery is not what the Bible refers to as a bondmaid or a bondwoman. Because if you study that out in Scripture, and I don't have time to develop that right now, but if you study that out in Scripture, they were not allowed to abuse these people. The Bible says, you know, if a master, for example, hit their bond, made and you know injured their eye or injured their tooth he was supposed to set them free because of the fact that um that that you know for the sake of their eye or for the sake of their so they, it was in their best interest to make sure they took care of their servants you know and 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 there was consequences for killing them and all sorts of things and the bible even talks about how many of them once their service was done they they chose to be lifelong bond servants. And, and there was a procedure for that that they would go through. So I just want you to understand it's, it's different than what we think of from our American uh, history. Look at verse 47. And if a sojourner or stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor, and sell himself unto the stranger or, sojour or sojourner by thee, or to the st uh, uh, stock of the stranger's family, after that he's sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Again, the idea of a a kinsman redeemer. Verse 49. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him, or if he be able, he may redeem himself. Notice in verse 50, he begins to talk about the price of buying someone out of bondage was based on the year of Jubilee. Verse 50. And he shall reckon, reckon means taken account of, with him that bought him from the year that he was sold to him unto the year of Jubilee. And the price of his sale shall be according unto the number of years, according to the time of an hired servant, shall it be with him. If there be yet many years behind, according unto them, he shall give again the price of his redemption out of the money that, was, that he was bought for. And if there remain but few years unto the year of Jubilee, then he shall count with him, and according unto his years shall he give him again again, the price of his redemption. So again, you're an Israelite, you were sold into bondage because of your debts or because of whatever. You could be redeemed. You'd have to, uh, you know, how, depending on how much time was left between now and the year of Jubilee, they would figure out the worth and you could redeem yourself. But either way, even if you didn't, at the year of Jubilee, you were set free. You were let go. The, the debts were paid, were forgiven, and you were allowed to go back home and start over. Notice verse 53. And as a yearly hired servant shall he be with thee, and the other shall not rule with rigor over him in thy sight. And if he be not redeemed in these years, then he shall go out in the year of Jubilee. 
both he and his children with him. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this is the, the year of the Jubilee and also the year of Sabbath. So let me just quickly give you, I, I explained to you how it all works. I explained to you all the rules. Let me just quickly give you some application in regards to this and how we can apply it to our lives. Look at Leviticus 25 and verse 10 again. And actually, look at verse 9. And let me just say this quickly. I talked about it not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. The year of Jubilee is a picture of the rapture. We talked about that already. So uh, I'm not going to dwell on that. We talked about that in Leviticus 23. But let me just show it to you again. Uh, again. Leviticus 25, look at verse 9. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound. See, the last trumpet of the year. Because remember, the feasts represent different prophetic uh, uh, you know, events. The, the, we talked about it in Leviticus 23. The spring feasts were all fulfilled uh, during the first coming or first advent of Christ. The fall feasts all have a prophetic uh, symbolism, and they will be fulfilled during the second coming or the second advent of Christ. But oftentimes, the Feast of Trumpets, people will think, oh, that represents the rapture because the trumpet sounds. But the problem with that is that that's not the last time a trumpet is sound during the feast of a year, the last trumpet that sounds is the trumpet that is sounded on the Day of Atonement on the year of Jubilee. Only once in 50 years is it sounded, but that is the last, sound, uh, the last trumpet. Verse, verse 9, Leviticus 25, verse 9. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the Day of Atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. The Day of Atonement pictures our salvation, the fact that we'll be Rescued, verse 10, and ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. See, the year of jubilee pictured the fact that no matter how much trouble you were in, no matter how much debt you were in, no matter how much uh, problems you had, and you were just, you know, uh, 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 given to in bondage, and you were a bondmaid, and you were a bond slave, and you were a bond servant, whatever it was, on the, when the trumpet sounded on the year of Jubilee, you got to go back home, and you got to uh, reunite with family, and really that's what the rapture is. The trumpet's going to sound, and we get to go home. We're just pilgrims on this earth. We're just sojourners here. I like the song that we sing. You know, I, it talks about holding the things of this earth loosely. Why? Because this world is not my home. We're just passing through. You know, and one day the trumpet will sound and we'll get to go home. We'll go back to the, the possession that we will inherit and we'll be reunited with loved ones. And the, the Jubilee pictures the rapture. But there's other things that we can learn from it. Go, go, look, look at verse 4, Leviticus 25 and verse 4. We learn this idea of rest and focusing on God. Notice verse, what he says in verse 4. But in the seventh year shall be the Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyards. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest uh, thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy uh, vine un, uh, uh, undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. Notice, the focus is on the rest. The land gets to rest. Uh, go with me to the book of Genesis just real quickly and look at uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2. Just real quickly, Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 2. In Genesis 2.2, 2, the Bible says this. 
Genesis 2 and verse number 2, the Bible says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Here, the Bible is teaching the concept of the Sabbath day, not the Sabbath year, but the Sabbath day. And here's what, here's what I want you to understand. We don't live, you and I don't live under the Levitical law or the Mosaic law where we have to observe a Sabbath day, but God didn't either. Genesis is before the Mosaic law, and God is above the Mosaic law, and God himself chose to work six days and rest one day, and there's just a good principle that you should take a day to rest. You should take, now that's not a command. In fact, we're told not to be judged based on Sabbath days. And if you want to work seven days a week, you know, go for it. That, that is uh, your privilege. But there is some wisdom and taking a day aside and saying, this will be a day of rest. I will allow my body to rest. And I will, uh, and God did it. The land had to do it. God wanted them to do it. But I want you to notice something. This was not just a year off where they just sat there and, uh, you know, just relaxed. It was a time to rest and also to focus on God. Go to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. Let me just show you this real quickly. Deuteronomy 31. And look at verse number 9. Deuteronomy chapter number 31 and verse number 9. In Deuteronomy 31, we're told about the year of Jubilee. And we're told about something that the people did during the year of Jubilee. And they were able to do it because of the fact that they had a lot of extra time because they were supposed to be resting. They weren't supposed to be working the land. They weren't supposed to be going out there and harvesting. Deuteronomy 31, look at verse number 9. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Deuteronomy, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. And Moses wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, let's talk about um, the year of Jubilee, liberty, whatever. In the Feast of the Tabernacles, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. So I want you to notice, on the year of rest, or on the year of release, which was the year of liberty, the year of jubilee, the entire nation gathered together and they stood and they read the entire book of Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law. And you say, well, what was the point of that? The point was because of the fact that they were resting, they had time to be able to get together and focus on the things of the Lord and have a revival meeting and be able to, you know, not just fellowship together, but they had that. And, you know, today you and I, we're not going to do that. But that's why, you know, I think Sundays are a great time to consider your day of rest. Because, you know, what did they do on their year of rest? They got together, the entire family got together with the congregation, and then they read the Word of God, and they studied the Word of God. And, you know, on Sundays, you can come here and gather together with your church family, and we read the Word of God, and we study the Word of God. So we learn this concept of rest and of focusing on God and of learning about God. That's what they did during this year of rest. There's also another concept. Go back to Leviticus 25. Look at verse 6. There's this idea of trusting God with your finances. Because in verse 6 of Leviticus 25, the Bible says this, And the Sabbath of land shall be meat for you, 
for thee and for thy servants and for thy maid and for thy hired servants and for thy servants that sojourneth with thee and for thy cattle and for thy beasts that are in thy land shall all, notice, the increase thereof be meat. So the increase of the land is going to be your food. Look at verse 12. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. Look at verse 20. And if ye shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And ye shall sow the eighth year, and eat yet of the old fruit until the ninth year, until, uh, until her fruit come in, ye shall eat of the old store. See, they had to practice faith to say, I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to work the land. The way, you know, that we, I, I provide for my family for an entire year, I'm going to not work the land. And they had to have the faith that God was going to provide their needs, that God was going to take care of them. Go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6, the New Testament. You got Matthew chapter number 6. And, you know, for, for, for us, we don't live under the Levitical law, and we don't follow the Sabbath, but there's an analogy of something that we are supposed to be doing, and that is tithing. And, you know, let me say this. You know, these Seventh-day Adventists that run around talking about, you got to keep the Old Testament, you're not keeping the Sabbath, you know, you're not right with God. The, the question I have for them is, do you keep the Sabbath of years? Because I get the whole not working on Saturday, but do you just not go to work the seventh year, you know, uh, uh, this, and, and, and trust God for your finances? Because I don't know any Seventh-day Adventist who does that. And that's what you're supposed to do. You can't just cut out the law. Look, if you, if you, if you are subject, if, if you say, I'm going to follow any part of the law, then you have to keep the entire law. Amen. You have to keep all of it. And if you're going to keep the Sabbath of days, then you also have to keep the Sabbath of years. And you also have to keep the Jubilee. And you also have to keep all the feasts, the Passover, the trumpets, the tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles, because all of those were Sabbath days also. Amen. So, you know, these Seventh-day Adventists, they want to rock around and look down, oh, you go to church on Sunday? You're part of the Antichrist church? That's just ridiculous. You don't even follow what you say. You don't even follow what you say you follow. Because if you did, you'd follow all the other Sabbaths that were in, in the Word of God. But here's the idea. There was a practice of faith. That they had to trust God with their finances. And you know, we don't keep the Sabbath, but you know what we do? You know what has not been repealed from the Old Testament? The tithe. Because God commands us. And Jesus even spoke of the tithe in a positive way in the New Testament and did not repeal it. So we're supposed to keep the tithe. But you know, today people will not tithe. They will not return 10% of their income back to God for one reason. They're afraid that, God, that, that their finances will not be met. But you know what? God wants us and God desires for us to trust Him with our finances. And you say, well, why does God, why does God often use finances as a, as a testing ground to test us in regards to whether we will obey Him or not? Are you there in, in Matthew 6? Look at verse 21. Matthew 6, 21 says this. Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, God himself said that what you do with your finances declares for us, it tells us what, where your heart is. See, if we, if, we, if we looked at your checkbook, if we looked at your bank statement, 
If we logged into your online banking and went through the transactions and saw where you spent your money, that would tell us where your heart really is. Because for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And look, it comes down to one thing. If you're not willing to trust God with your tithe, it's because your heart's not right with Him. And because you're not trusting Him. The Bible says, trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. And you say, well, it just doesn't make sense. If I give God 10% of my income, it just doesn't make sense. You know, how am I going to... You know, lean not unto thine own understanding. Just trust God and, and, and say, you know, I believe God. We're not talking about being stupid and doing things that God never asked you to do. But if God said, hey, tithe, then you tithe. If God says, don't go to work for one year, then you don't go to work for one year. Then you go to the revival meeting. And you go listen to Moses, read the word of God and teach you the word of God. Look at verse 31, same chapter, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Didn't he say, didn't they ask, you know, what shall we eat on the seventh year? What shall we eat the seventh year? In the New Testament, they're asking the same question. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He says, look, if you seek God first, all these things, all what things? The things you're thinking about. What shall we eat? And what shall we drink? And wherewithal shall we be clothed? God said, all of those things shall be added unto you. So we learn from this the principle of rest and focusing on God. We learn the idea of trusting God. We also learn this. Go, go to the book of Second uh, Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter number 36. We're, we're almost done. Second Chronicles chapter, what time is it? Good night. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36. You got all the first and second books clustered together. First, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 36. Look at verse 20. We all, you know, the Bible says this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You cannot mock God. You cannot get one over on God. God's will will be done. God's will will, he, he will get what he wants. And God wanted the land to rest. Every seven years, He wanted it to rest. Second Chronicles 36. Here's what happened. The children of Israel did not do it. In fact, we don't know. They might have done it, but I will tell you this. There is no evidence in Scripture that the children of Israel ever kept the year of Jubilee. That they, ever, that they, that they even kept, we know that they kept the Sabbath uh, year, but they let it go for many, many years. And they just chose not to do it. And they chose to either ignore it or they chose to do ways to get around it. In 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 20, the Bible says this, And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon. Remember the Babylonian captivity? Where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept uh, Sabbaths to fulfill threescore and ten years. See, the children of Israel chose to ignore and they skipped, they skipped 70 Sabbath years of rest. And they thought they were getting a fast one on God. They thought, oh, God doesn't know. God doesn't care. We're all about money. We're just going to do what we want. We're not going to rest the land. But you know what? God had them go into captivity for 70 years so that the land could rest for 70 years because God said, I'm going to get it out of you one way or the other. 
And I would submit to you tonight that if you're here and you say, well, I'm just not going to tithe because I can't take that chance. And my finances, you know what? God's going to get out of you one way or the other. And you're either going to just give it to God and be blessed and say, here you go, Lord. I'm a cheerful giver and have him bless you and have him open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, which you cannot contain. Or you're going to keep your little 10% and, he's just gonna, and you're just going to pay it to the mechanic or you're going to pay it at the hospital or he's just going to get it out of you because God's going to get it out of you one way or the other. So, you know, I'm sure it would have been better for the children of Israel to just practice the Sabbath year. And to just trust the Lord and say, you know what? God's going to deal with it. God's going to care for us. God said he would do it. Let's go down to the Red Hot Preaching Conference with Moses. Let's go listen to the Word of God preach and let just God, God deal with it. But they chose to lean unto their own understanding. And then God puts them in captivity. And God says, I'm going to take my Sabbath days. I'm going to take the 70 days. So you know what? Just trust the Lord. Just... just, just um, Trust him with what you have. Let me give you one more and we'll be done. Go, go back to Leviticus 25. There's one more, more thought. You say, well, why should I trust God in my finances? Why should I uh, take time to rest and to focus on God and, and, and to put him first? Why should I do those things? It comes down to this. And why should we follow the year of Jubilee, you know, which we don't in America? But we should. You know, I, I think it'd be great for us to have every 50 years just a, a reset button where everyone gets to start over and the land goes back to its original inheritors and, and, and you keep people from oppressing you and charging interest and all those things. Leviticus 25, look at verse 23. It all comes down to this. Leviticus 25, 23. For the land shall not be sold forever. You say, well, God, that's not very capitalistic. God, that's not, you know, what we've been taught in American culture. But here's what it comes down to. For the land is mine. See, God, the land belongs to God. It's God's land to do what he, what he wills with it. And by the way, all the land belongs to God. It's all his. So you know what? Just give him what he wants. If he wants you to write. And we're not supposed to do this. But I'm just saying, in, in, in a practical sense, just stop leading upon your own understanding and give God what he wants. Look at Leviticus 25, verse 55. This is the last verse we'll look at. Leviticus 25, 55. Notice what he says. Why were you not supposed to sell them in bondage? And if you did, you're supposed to treat them right and let them go out in the year of Jubilee. Why? For unto me the children of Israel are servants. Notice what he says. This is God speaking. They are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. You belong to God, your property belongs to God, your car belongs to God, your finances belong to God, your children belongs to God, everything belongs to God. So we would just do well to just follow God's plan, because God's plan is always better, and God's plan never ends in bondage. Let's bow our heads and I would pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these scriptures and these ideas, these concepts that, unfortunately, I don't know have ever been tried or have ever really been followed. But I know there's coming a day called the millennial reign of Christ where I, I do believe the year of Jubilee will be instituted. I think we're going to follow all the laws that God instituted because the law of the Lord is perfect because we cannot come up with a better system, better ideas, a better government than what God has come up with. And we thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us even though we can't institute these things in our government. That's not our role and it's not where we have the power. But Lord, I pray that in our lives, we would learn to take time to rest, to focus on God, to reset and re-energize ourselves. Lord, help us to learn to trust you with our finances. And if we can learn to trust you with that, we can learn to trust you with anything. 
Help us not to lean onto our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and allow you to direct our path. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.